there is a well-known optical illusion that you may have come across at some point, and it's this uh, picture that was originally um, drawn up in the late 19th century, and depending on how you look at this, you'll either see a young woman looking off into the distance in hope, or an old, sad, witch-like character. Now, just as a quick show of hands, who's seeing the, the image of the young woman looking off to the distance? We got a few hands. And who's seeing the other image? Kind of the, there's a picture of an older witch that looks very sad. It kind of, uh, if, if you're having trouble seeing this, if you are seeing the young woman, if you picture her chin being actually a nose of a bigger face, you might be able to picture the other image and vice versa. There was a British cartoonist named William Hill who, about 15 years after this was coined, uh, wrote a, the, a caption to this called My Wife and My Mother-in-Law. And it was uh, kind of this, made this humor magazine in, the 1950, in 1915. I'm going to move on, otherwise you're not going to listen to anything else I say. But if you Google it later, you can try and figure it out. Right? I begin with this image because today's text is all about perception about how we can learn to see. One of the key verbs that shows, out, shows up throughout this long passage in Exodus 14 is the verb to see or to look. And as we heard, the text begins with the Israelites looking out on uh, a scene full of terror and hopelessness. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified, and they cried out to the Lord. As they look out upon the landscape of their circumstances, all they see is terror and fear. And rightly so, they are hemmed in on all sides. The Red Sea is in front of them, and behind them is the Egyptian army surrounding them. And it seems like there is no way out. They look at their circumstances, and they are terrified. And I just want to name that that is often what we see as we look out at the landscape of our lives and in our world. And I'm wondering today if at some level you can connect with that experience of feeling hemmed in on all sides. Perhaps some of us come today and we're feeling trapped in some addictive patterns in our life and we're trying to find a pathway out of that and it feels pretty overwhelming. Perhaps some of us are feeling trapped by chronic illness or a cancer diagnosis and we're feeling confined to circumstances that are, are encroaching on the life we long for. I want to name just the reality of grief that's present in our congregation. In the last eight days we had three funerals here. And there's been a lot of cumulative grief in our midst. And perhaps some of us today are just struggling to see beyond the grief right now feeling clouded in by uh, that, that loss and that sense of despair. As we look out on our circumstances, sometimes we can resonate with that sense of fear. And, and maybe as we look out on the landscape of our culture and our community, we feel that. It feels like Pharaoh wins a whole lot in our world, doesn't it? Right? And we're looking out in a world and we're seeing the prevalence of violence and oppression and injustice. And perhaps what we're seeing is a very bleak image of reality right now. In the midst of that, Moses speaks this word to the Israelites. He speaks into that fear and he says, Do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see something different. 
You will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Now, that word is mistranslated in the NIV. It actually is this word for silence. There's not a call to not move. In fact, the next verse, God says, I want you to move and participate in my redemptive action. But before we can hear and see God's direction, we need to silence those voices of fear. Silence the voices that are disrupting a bigger vision of what God is doing in the midst of chaos. The purpose of this section of Exodus is to reveal who God is. One commentator actually said that this book, Exodus, could actually be named Exhibit. That's part of the purpose of this section. And we fast-forwarded a little bit today, but from chapter 8 to 14, there's this repetitive theme of God revealing himself, both to the Israelite people and also to the nations and to Egypt. And it comes to a culmination point in in chapter 14. God is showing that he is more powerful than Pharaoh, that he is more powerful than these disruptive forces that are seeking to oppress. God is being put on display. And the Israelites, through this trial, have the opportunity to discover who God is. What I want to do today is Explore what they see when they silence the fear and intentionally look for God. And I hope that we might be able to discover where God is at work in our own story as well. And so Moses says, look and see where God is at work in the midst of hardship. And I want us to notice what they see when they look. And the first thing that is is noticeable in the midst of the chaos as they see God's presence among them. And so our text goes on to depict this, this powerful image of God being a present help in trouble, surrounding them, protecting them. Then the angel of God, who had been traveling in front of Israel's army, withdrew and went behind them. The pillar of clouds also moved in front and stood behind them, coming between the armies of Egypt and Israel. Throughout the night, the cloud brought darkness to one side and light to the other side. As they are still, as they silence the fear and they look, they see signs of God's presence in their midst. God lives into what the psalmist declares, that he will be a very present help in trouble. And today, I just want us to explore in our own story where we have maybe seen God's presence in the midst of hardship. During these past funerals uh, this last week, we have meditated often on that powerful psalm, Psalm 23, where it says, Even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. And I'm just wondering if that psalm has ever come come to life for you. One of the things I just want to declare from my experience, I don't know if I can convince you this by argument, but I can just be a witness to what I've experienced. I have seen Psalm 23 to be very true. And it's been a privilege for me as a pastor to have a front row seat in, in, in times of hardship as I've been able to walk with some of you. I have seen God shown, show up in hospital rooms and at grave sites. I've seen God show up in your life in powerful ways. And I would just invite you to reflect back and see where has God been a present help to you in trouble? 
Have you ever experienced that peace that passes understanding that's upheld you in times of trial? I believe there are signs of God's presence when we pause and look. Now, there's something I noticed this time reading through this section, that God's presence was manifested through the created order. We've seen in Exodus that God has shown up in a bush that was a flame. In this text, God is present in clouds and water and light. And I wonder if one of the ways that we might discover God's presence among us is in the ways that he is communicating and displaying his presence power and presence through creation. In Psalm 19, we see that the created order day to day pours forth speech declaring who God is. In Romans 1.20, it says that the created world speaks to the invisible qualities of God. Maybe in our distracted, hyper-connected technological world, we need to silence the devices, silence all the things that are vying for our attention, and experience God's voice as we re-engage out in the created world? Where has God perhaps spoken to you through the power of creation? It reminded me of a, a beautiful poem by Wendell Berry called The Peace of Wild Things. And he says, When despair for the world grows in me and I wake in the night at the least sounds, in fear of what my life and my children's life may be, I go and lie down where the wood drake rests in the beauty on the water and the great heron feeds. I come into the peace of wild things who do not tax their lives with forethought of grief. I come into the presence of still water. I feel above me the day-blind stars waiting with their light. For a time I rest in the grace of the world and am free. It's a beautiful testimony to someone who encountered just a deeper hope, a deeper peace in the midst of God's created order. I wonder if that's maybe just a tangible way that we might be still and silent and look and listen for God's presence in and among us. As the story continues, the Israelites then see manifestation of God's power in a very, very dramatic fashion in this text. And so it goes on to read, we go on to read, during the last watch of the night, the Lord looked down from the pillar of fire and cloud at the Egyptian army and threw it into confusion. And he made the wheels of their chariots come off so that they had difficulty driving. And the Egyptians said, let's get away from the Israelites. The Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. Can we recover this deep hope that we have a God that fights for us? And we are not left to our own limited resources to battle addiction, to battle anxiety, to battle grief. I think we need to think bigger thoughts of God sometimes. We've lost sight of this deep hope that we, as Paul says in Romans 8, are more than conquerors. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Friends, where have you seen God's power at work in your life 
and in your world? Can you trace that in your experience at all? I want us just to lift up our eyes and see the hope of a God who fights for us, a God who is more powerful than the things we are up against. We are taught to fear our world and our reality, but the scriptures invite us to look at a deeper, bigger reality. Have you seen that power manifest in your life? A few years ago, I was at a town hall meeting in uh, Longview, Washington, and one of the things on the docket was this cold weather shelter that we were opening up for the winter. And there were two men that stood up at this meeting and shared a powerful testimony of how God led them on a path of redemption. Now, these two men, about three years earlier, had burned a lot of bridges. They were caught up in addiction. They had been estranged from their family. They were in and out of all the shelters, and they had been red-listed from every shelter in town, even the low-barrier shelters. And they stood up in front of this meeting and talked about how they had a powerful experience of transformation in their life. And these two Men stood up and they talked about how they had experienced reconciliation with their family. They were holding a job and they were actually now advocates for other people who were coming out of addiction and out of homelessness. I was sitting next to the director of a nonprofit in our town called Love Overwhelming and they had headed up the low barrier shelter. And Chuck turned to me and he said, I can't believe I'm seeing this. I knew these guys three years ago and I would have never thought that they would be on the other side of addiction and homelessness. It's a manifestation of the power of God that is still at work in our midst today. Can we look for that? Can we see that? Can we call out for God's power to meet us in those places of weakness? Lord, give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Fill us with hope. The last thing I want us to notice is that while they are hemmed in on all sides, God opens up an unexpected pathway. And they see this path open through the Red Sea into this land of promise. Now what I want us to notice about this is that what God is doing here is exploring the pathway to restoration and new creation. In this river crossing scene, there are all these allusions to the creation story. This is from Jim Bruckner, good covenant uh, Old Testament scholar. Three phrases here allude to the creation. As God's spirit hovered over the waters in Genesis 1-2, so Moses was told to raise a staff over the waters, over the sea. As God separated the water in Genesis 1-7, Moses' action divides the water, and as God made dry ground in Genesis 1-9, so the people would go through the sea on dry ground. Now here's what's being communicated. Pharaoh is the manifestation of the fall, of this anti-creation force. He's a, uh, demonstrated oppression and, and breaking the world that God had created. And what God is doing in this moment is he is leading the Israelites on a path of new creation. He is recreating the world the way he designed it to be, leading them on a path to newness of life. 
And the hope that I want us to be on the lookout for is the way God wants to bring about new creation in our lives, bring about restoration, open up, open up pathways to newness of life. Friends, the Exodus story is also our story as Christians. That Jesus has come to lead us on a more cosmic, eternal exodus out of the old, out of the things that are full of decay and lead us into new creation. This is this beautiful fourth movement of the biblical drama, a God in the New Testament who wants to make all things new. Paul speaks to this in Romans 6. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism. We passed through our own waters, baptism, into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead, by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. As we pass through the waters of baptism, we are not only cleansed from our sin and forgiven of our past, God wants to open up a pathway into newness of life. Sometimes we have only heard half the gospel. We've heard this good news that we are forgiven, and that is good news. <laughs> but that is the first movement of the gospel. God doesn't want to just save us from our Egypt and bring down the pharaohs that are oppressing us. He wants to lead us into newness of life. Lead us on pathways towards restoration and redemption. And I wonder where God might want to do that in your life today. I wonder what pathways God wants to open up for you in those places of chaos, in those places of pain, those places of discouragement. Does God want to open up a pathway into a recovery group where you can find support and encouragement on your journey of healing? Does God want to open up a pathway into community where you can be supported in your grief? It's been a joy to see a lot of you, uh, new people being enfolded in our community. Is God opening up a pathway for you to re-engage a Christian community where you can be discipled and formed and supported when things get hard? Where are those pathways to new life? Is God opening up opportunities for you to do important work in our community, undoing the anti-creation forces of injustice in this world to be part of God's good work of justice and liberation? Where are those pathways opening? Can we be on the lookout, have eyes to see where God is at work in the chaos? Now, I want to just end with a couple practical ways by which our eyes can be opened We've talked about the importance of silence and stillness. But what I see as this text ends is that there's this call to hold and balance both contemplation and action. Both contemplation and action. So on the one hand, God says to the Israelites, move, move. <laughs> and they only see the full revelation of God's presence, power, and provision when they begin to take steps of faith. And that's sometimes how God reveals himself, as we take steps, as we move. I used to think that I had to get it all figured out and be all sure before I took that first step into the dry land that was opening up. Right? But the Israelites didn't see it until they stepped out and saw the water be pushed aside. This is the nature of faith, friends, is that we step out and we move and then we look for where God shows up. I've said this before, but the traditional definition of theology is faith-seeking understanding, and I used to flip that. It was like understanding-seeking faith. I've got to figure it all out before I'll take any risk, any step. But it's as we move 
as we step out in faith, that God begins to reveal himself. So there's a call to action and movement. But then there is a call to contemplation and reflection. At the very end of our text, the Israelites, having gone through this powerful experience, they look back and they see what God has done. And and God's power sometimes is only clear to us and manifests itself to us in retrospect. So at the end of our text, that day the Lord saved Israel from the hands of the Egyptians, and Israel saw, there's our verb again, to see. What do they see now? They see the Egyptians lying dead on the shore, God overcoming the powers that were against them. We talked about this last week, that we live our life forward, but sometimes we only make sense of it backwards. And I'd invite you into that practice of reflecting back and seeing where has God been present. Sometimes we can't see it in real time, but I think we need to create moments in our days, moments in our life together to pause and look back and see where God has been present. That's one of the things we're going to do in our annual meeting later. We're going to pause and we're going to look back. Where has God been present? And then where is he leading us moving forward? There has been a shift in perception in this text. Whereas at the beginning of the text, all the Israelites saw was fear and terror. Now look what they see. And when the Israelites saw the great power the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and in Moses, his servant. They have seen the power of the living God. And so I pray that God might be revealing himself to us as we walk through difficult waters, as we navigate chaos, as we navigate grief, I believe that the same God that met the Israelites in that, that place of chaos and led them into new life wants to meet with us now. And so I'm glad that today we want to have some extended time to respond to God. And once a month we have a rhythm here at Bellingham Covenant Church to have some extended time for worship and prayer in response to the word. We have a time of prayers for healing, and so I'm going to invite the musicians to come forward. Pastor Janet's going to be available at uh, this altar. I'm going to be available here, and we invite you to engage in the Lord, trusting that he is present in our midst. We invite movement in the room if you want to reach out to someone and pray for them. If you want to come forward and receive prayer, uh, if you see someone that's come forward for prayer and you want to be part of just laying hands on them, We want to seek the Lord now in those places of pain and hardship, trusting that he wants to do some of that restorative, redemptive work in our hearts. So I'd invite you to stand and uh, let's respond to God in 